Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 13 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2021, Scripture, the Ultimate Authority. We now join our speaker for the conclusion of last week's message, we hope you are encouraged and challenged. Okay, so this next question I'm going to direct to, to you, Phil, because it, again, kind of touches some things that you were talking about. Um, it says here, what are your recommendations on reconciling the fact that God's Word is inerrant, but there are multiple versions, and the phrase here used, that contradict one another? So how would you answer that question in regards to some of the things you've talked about. Okay, so my, I'm going to say when it says multiple or contradictions, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down the path that the person who penned the question is right. probably thinking there's different translations and there's the appearance of contradiction between those translations. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so let's talk about translations for just a moment. I'm going to use a speedometer here. Starting over here, you've got what's called formal equivalence. And as you move across the spectrum, it becomes increasingly over to dynamic equivalence. What's the difference? If you hold in your lap a Nash, uh, and, and I call it NASB, right? New American Standard Bible. That's over here, that's formal equivalence, essentially word for word, Greek to English, Hebrew to English, okay? The goal of that translating committee and every translation is arrived at with a committee of scholars. The goal of that committee is not to give you the writer's intent, but what the writer wrote. It's up to you through proper hermeneutical principles to dig in and figure out what was the writer's intent? What was that single meaning behind the text? So you go from NASB to um, ASB and, and ESV and uh, King James and New King James and NIV, and you keep moving. And as you move over here, you start to move into what I call paraphrase versions. The message, the living Bible. Amplified. Amplified Bible, okay? Does that make these wrong? No. What's happening over here is the author is now trying to translate for you what that committee thinks was the intent of what that man was saying. That's where you have to be careful. So if you're going to do a word study in the Greek or the Hebrew, you're not going to use a dynamic translation you're gonna come back here to the Revised Standard Version, the NASB, ASV, ESV, something like that, to work in the text, the Greek and the Hebrew. It's not gonna work over here. It doesn't make these bad, these are helpful. You can read them, understand them, but you will probably find different things that are not gonna mesh up from this dynamic here to this dynamic here with the appearance of there being a contradiction, okay? Does that make sense? So I use a multiplicity of translations. I, I, I have the one that I generally work with, which is either going to be NASB or ESV. This happens to be an ESV. 
But when I'm working with my computer library, I use Logos, I'm working with the Masoretic text, the Septuagint, the Net Bible, ESV, NESB, NIV, KGV. I'll probably have a dozen versions opened, but if I'm drilling into Greek and Hebrew, I'm going to use those formal equivalent type text over here to work through. So Right. When I'm preparing for a message like I did this week, I'm using one of those translations because yeah. it's, I'm able to do a word studies that are going to be pretty close to what is said yeah. in the Greek text. Yeah. Yep. And, and that well, way I'm able to see. <laughs> when you say pretty close, a little inside baseball. One of the pastors on our staff when he was in seminary, he says, yeah. So when I was late and I was doing this and that and I had Greek class the next morning and I did none of the homework, I grabbed my NASB, looked at it and went, okay, there's the Greek translation <laughs> in the class. That's how close NASB is to the original language. I mean, that is, most Greek professors could know when you did that. Right? Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, he got away with it, though. Yeah. <laughs> So. That's what the NASB says, and what the text say. <laughs> no, we want you to do the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, the, yes. There are three, prime, three criteria for translations. All, all translating committees use these three criteria, always. If they don't, they don't even need to be looking at the text. Anyway, one is accuracy. I think most of us would say, the, and this is what we're talking about on this end of the scale, He's got it backwards. It's on this end because you're turned around looking this way. I'm left But first is accuracy. Second is clarity. You need to be able to understand what you're reading to some degree. And the other is smoothness. In other words, easy to read. So if you, um, um, it's, it's good to know where the translators were in that. As, as an emphasis, which one they really chose. Mm-hmm. And in ASB, definitely accuracy. King James for its day was definitely accuracy. Um, other translations like the ESV uh, and some others, there's, uh, what's that uh, the one Holcomb. that, huh? The Holcomb? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but the NIV, I taught it's my, my... Christian Standard Version, I think is where you... Well, it used Standard to be called version. Christian Standard Version, I think yeah. it's changed. New, now, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so I taught, I had a professor in Hebrew who was who was on a committee to translate the NIV. And he told us, he said, we always opted for smoothness. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't surprise me that some years later he was removed from the seminary where I graduated because he was on board with the new uh, NIV, which was gender neutral. Mm. I'm not surprised. Mm. I, I, I mean, I loved him. We were friends, and I would go and ask him for counsel on books to read and stuff. But when I heard that, I thought, hmm. Uh, because you want a Bible mm-hmm. that's as close as can be. Now, I'd like to make a correction without sounding like a know-it-all hope, but the Amplified Version is not a paraphrase. The Amplified Version is an expansion, a broad expansion of the NASB, translated by the same people, using more words, usually bigger, because it tries to be even more accurate. Not practical to hold and read while you're listen to a sermon. But that's the point, the point of formal equivalency, which has, deals mostly with accuracy, which, and uh, dynamic equivalent, which goes as so far as to care only about how smoothly it reads. You'll sell a lot of those, right? Because people want something easy to read. Yeah. I don't want the easiest one to read. Maybe I'm just an old guy that wants tradition the way it was, but no, I don't think so. I think that's important. Correction received, by the way. The the other thing I would say, too, is don't be intimidated by Greek and Hebrew. 
the word, the, the book tools we have today for you to get into the Greek or Hebrew are phenomenal. And so don't be intimidated. I, you don't need seminary to be able to do basic handling of Greek. And if you can do basic handling, believe me, when you're reading a commentary and the author's dealing with basic Greek stuff, you're going to follow that. It's great. It, it's wonderful. There are lots it's, of tools you can use. Yeah. yeah, and we've got, it's so advanced in that area. And also, you know, uh, I don't know which way we landed on. Is this the word for word <laughs> or is this the... Yeah, I started formal here and went over here All to right. dynamic. On the but, formal side, yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of just looking for translations, I know that sometimes is a question. What kind of translation should I get? Uh, everything that has been said is correct. And just to add to what's already been said, on the formal side, you're going to see the editors or translators. There's going to be a group. There's going to be a team of guys who have put that together. Uh, over here on the more informal side of things, it's going to, or the, the more thought for thought type section, you're going to find like maybe a guy. And, it, and so there are certain versions that have like one editor or one translator. And a team is good in that atmosphere when you are compiling the word of God. A team of scholars. A team of scholars. Yeah. Well, there's accountability. That's right. And I think that's important because no, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we need to get it right. That's good. Sir, any, are any of you NASB users here? Do I have, okay, here's what you need to keep an eye out. There's a new Bible coming out. It should have been out by now. It's not COVID delays, et cetera, set it back. LSB, Legacy Study Bible. Now, what is it? It's the NASB, but they've tweaked it a little to fix some of the problems of certain words and their mistranslation, i.e., in the Greek, the word doulos is slave. But politically correct translation would not be slave, it would be servant or bondservant. You can't get away with that. Doulos means slave. Say what it is. So they're going back through and making a different version, LSB, and it will be slave. It will be what it is supposed to be. No PC involved in this. So you can keep an eye out. Um, the impetus behind that is John MacArthur and all the scholars at Masters have been working on this thing for a couple of years. I have the New Testament, uh, I'll call it the beta version, in my library that I got my hands on about six months ago. Then it will be eventually Old Testament, New Testament. I have only the, the new, but I like it because it addresses some of those problems with the committees not wanting to land on something they didn't, they didn't think would, would roll. Yeah, very good. We'll move on to this next question here. Um, and I think I'm going to kind of shoot this out, and you guys can have a free-for-all on this one. Um, <laughs> Ben's ready. If general revelation is not sufficient for redemption... What happens to people with no access to the Word of God, i.e. special revelation? Well, I'm not taking it. (laughs) (laughs) That's such an easy question. I'm going to let Mike answer that. (laughs) Yeah, that's so easy. I'm going to let my dad or let Phil answer. (laughs) Ben can answer that. Uh, We'll let our colleagues have that first run at it. (laughs) It looks like it's down to you two. I guess it's you and me, Ben. It's 
Charles in on this one? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot. Um, go for it, Dave. Go, go for, for it. it. Go, for go for it, it Charles. We'll, we'll um, pick up where you leave off. <laughs> um, what is this guy? Phil. Uh, Phil made the point that general revelation is enough to condemn a person of unbelief, but not enough to convict or bring to salvation. And that's true. That's sort of a cliche among theologians, but it is a true cliche. Um, A person cannot be converted without the gospel. You know that there's something Scripture teaches that are hard. And Peter says that. Something's hard to be understood. Some of Paul's writings that are hard to be understood. Who Those who are unbelieving twist. So, so what, what an unbeliever does is take a, a hard to understand concept from Scripture, plenty of them, and it doesn't take too many, and they twist it. They say, see, God's not fair. I could never believe in a God that just treats, doesn't treat everybody the same, doesn't give everybody the same opportunity. And that all sounds really humanly good. It's just not biblical. There's one name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Only one. There is one gospel. And Phil brought this out in our conversation, Romans 10. Most of you could quote that passage where it says, um, um, if you confess your mouth, Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then it goes on to say, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, but, no buts. That's in the conversation. That's it. Uh, you know, for us, and, uh, you know, I'm assuming we are believers. It could be some among us who aren't, but I think we are believers. We believe what the Bible says. The Bible describes a God who is just and merciful, loving, but he condemns the ungodly. He, he deals with the ungodly. And we are all by nature ungodly. All of us, not just us. The world is ungodly by nature. We are sons of disobedience, children of wrath. The only way a person gets to be a child of God, not a child of wrath, to be a son of God and not a son of disobedience is by repentance and faith in Christ and Christ alone. There is no other answer. And you say, what happens to them? Those who do not believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are damned. They're lost. And I think that behooves us as Christians to answer the call to missions. That's it. That's, that's, that's the impetus, is it like, not? If, <clears throat> if, if there's somehow, some way, by some osmosis, that they can come to know Christ by who knows what, and we don't have to be involved, the responsibility is off of us. And I think we have to realize that we are called to take the gospel to the world. That's right. That, that doesn't mean... Yeah. And I'm awful. Trips outside of the uh, U.S., so don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with going on a foreign missions trip, but the world is our mission field, right? So we must take the gospel to everybody, not just, you know, particular people. It's to everybody. Your work, your school, your family. And so I think that's got to be the practical aspect of what we're talking about, because this is a very theological question, but theology must always outwork itself in living and if we're not, if we, we allow ourselves to go down that opening of parent Pandora's box, I think someone said in our discussion earlier, now it's like, hey, well, if it happens, it happens. 
Yeah, I, I think we have to back up a little bit. I just, my mind's going in three directions here. One, you're born into condemnation, okay? We're born into condemnation. And it's only by God's electing sovereign grace that any one of us sitting here today is not going to be condemned to hell. Underneath of that, from a human element, we want to look at it as fairness. God's not fair. He's elected some and condemned others. No, it has nothing to do with fairness. It has to do with justice. God is just. He is not fair. And every single person ever born since Genesis chapter 3 is doomed to destruction. But by his electing sovereign grace, he chooses some. When I, I hear Chris say, I don't understand election, I, and what about this person group and this? That question doesn't enter my mind. The question that enters my mind is, God, why me? That's unanswerable, but why me? I don't know. I won't know. Not to like maybe and even on the other side. We never know. know. We never know who. And yeah. again, we get back to the mission of call. But it's the call. Because yeah. as I was taught as a brand new believer by a missionary in the Amazon, and he started explaining to me election as a new six-month-old believer, my question was to him real simple. How do I know who the elect are? He says, you don't. They don't have an E painted on them. Therefore, it's up to you to go preach the gospel to them, and you'll find them. And that's why your Reformed faith are the ones that are most driven to gospel-driven missions. And if they're not, then there's something wrong. If your church isn't about missions, there's a problem, because it's up to us to get it out there. And I think you, you often take passages of Scripture, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and that just creates incredible consternation in our hearts and minds, especially with the idea of fairness that someone mentioned. And I think you, Dad, mentioned this. The question comes down to perspective. It's not that, quote, God hated Esau, but why did he love Jacob? Why? Jacob was a lying, cheating bum. There was nothing bum. to love. Yeah. And, he and, got, and, and the truth and is, for it, whatever reason he used him, I have no idea why. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. hungry, yeah. too. He sold his birthright. Yeah, he was hungry. He sold his birthright. Yeah, you know. Well, that was Esau. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Ben. Yeah, and we don't want fairness, right? I mean, we don't. Because if we get fairness, we receive condemnation. Yeah. We receive Judgment. death. The wages of sin is death. Yep. And we, we think we want fairness, sounds but we don't. Sounds yeah, our idea. sounds great. <laughs> it, it kind of putting a, a bow on this is very difficult. <laughs> I, I think probably people are going, oh, I don't know. Get in the Word. Study the Word. And make sure your perspective is a God-centered perspective, not a man-centered perspective. That's really what we're saying. Yeah, that's the big problem. Yeah. If you walk away going, I don't quite agree with that, okay. But have a God-centered, not a man-centered perspective upon Scripture. It's God working, not us. And you don't have to apologize for God. No, you do not have to. An unbeliever will ask this question, well, I can't believe God would be unfair and save some, not save others. And, And... you can look at people, not unkindly, not in arrogance, but simply say, you know, my God rules, and you better bow the knee to him. People need to hear that. 
They need to be told, you better bow the knee to this God. Because if you don't, it's not looking good for the future. And that's the loving thing to do. That's the loving thing to do. Faithful smartness and arrogance. Faithful are the wounds or of a friend. friend. But the kisses of of an enemy? Yeah. Right? It just doesn't work. That's Proverbs for you. You're nobody's friend if you pander to their small view of God and their small view of fairness and justice. Yeah. Yeah. So if we didn't have a hard enough question there, we're going to move into a even harder question as we close because we just feel like that's the best way to close. Oh, you mean you feel like that's the best way to close? <laughs> <laughs> I'm building here, man. I'm just like, I'm like building the momentum. Moderator. Yeah. Um, I think this is an important question. Um, I don't know if, if people's answers will be, or the answers that are given, hopefully biblical answers, will be satisfactory. But I'll read this question here. What priority, if any, should subjective guidance from the Holy Spirit having our lives, such as in Acts 8, 29, Spirit speaking to Philip to go to the chariot, share the gospel, and other places where you see the Holy Spirit speaking, which several Acts passages are giving here, Acts 10, Acts 13, Acts 21. Mm -hmm. So really this idea kind of summing it up, the Holy Spirit leading it's kind of subjective guidance. It's not like I read and read a scripture and went, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I just felt prompted to do something or to go somewhere or to do, you know, say something to this person. Mm-hmm. How do we wrestle with that? As everyone answers immediately. Man, um, uh, go for it. Everybody yeah. So I think there's a lot of layers to this, too. So I'll unpack a couple, and then we'll go from there. But... You know, one of them being, um, I think that you have to be, we, you mentioned it earlier, I believe, the feelings, the emotion versus, and, you know, we're going to have good day, really not different than marriage, right? Uh, there, there's going to be, you know, yeah, marriage, and then you're going to be like, marriage, it's thing, I'm in it, and, you know, and, and it's, and it's a, you, you say, yeah, and this is a grace of God, and you know the theology, you just live it and love it, and right, like, and that's not me. That's my wife saying that about me. It is. But like when we talk about these things, it is important to know that there are going to be uh, ebbs and flows, right, in how we feel and, and how we respond to that. And so uh, back to what we said earlier, read the whole Bible, understand redemptive history and, and who Christ is. Make him the thread that goes uh, beyond and through your emotions. We live in a very emotionalism, uh, emotional-driven society. It's just nuts. If you're on Facebook or whatever, you see it, right? Instagram, it's all there. And uh, so anyways, I, w- I would say we have to be very cautious when dealing with emotions and, and when people say, uh, I believe that the Spirit has, has said this to me or is doing this to me. As a pastor, I go, cool, let's talk more about that. What does that mean? Like, uh, where did you get, if you're telling me that you've gotten some new inspired word from the Lord that's prophetic and scriptural, I'm going, no, that's not the case. You're hearing something, but it's not the Lord. You know, it's not the Holy Spirit. And so I think we have to be really careful with our emotions that we don't let those take control and drive us to a place that the world's already going and driving in. Well, and I think God, to, to pick up on your point, God is a God of order. That's right. So he's going to work according to the order that he has decreed. And brother and I were discussing you know, during this week about this whole idea. He's never going to contradict. That's right. 
scriptures. And, and you know, it's interesting in this concept and this idea of being spirit-led. Um, guy who's actually on our board, Mike Fendrick, we were having this conversation one time, and um, I think this, this question kind of came up, and he looked at us, he said, you guys, you want to know how to be led by the spirit? And we're all like, yeah, shoot, tell us, man. He goes, do you have the fruits of the spirit? I was like, uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and and it, was, it hit hard. You know, you look at Galatians, fruits of the Spirit. What are those? Are those evident in your life? Because if you come and tell me, I feel like the Lord's leading me to do this, but you're not walking in obedience, I seriously doubt he's leading you to do that. Yeah. You need to be walking in obedience. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but there needs to be a pattern in your life that is obedient. And you say, I feel like the Lord's leading me to go to this country and to do this. So be it. I'm, I'm going to use an example. I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm going to use it. my brother Lance. He came over our house one night, and we'd been talking about his desire and drive for missions. And he says, hey, I feel like the Lord's leading me toward the mission field. I feel, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to seek it. I just feel like it. If he came to me and I didn't know him and the kind of person he was, I'd be like, okay, man, well, let's kind of work through this one. But when he told me that, I said, yeah, I think he is. Because I know Lance is walking in obedience. I know he's seeking after the Lord. I see the evidence of it in his life. That's an example of being spirit-led. Mm-hmm. Now, does he walk perfectly? No. Neither one of us do. But my, my reason for using an example, because you know him, he's here. He'll shoot me later for using him as an example. But spirit-led is not this emotionalism. It's the word of God. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a feeling. That is a great, I think, a great example uh, Daniel, when, when we're evaluating guys for eldership, we're looking for guys that are already being elders. Are, that gives you a pretty good clue they're called to that. And you know where their heartbeat is. And so when you know that person, like you know Lance, that's a different context, right? Let me elaborate a couple of different ways. I'll try to get just really practical. One, when somebody comes to me out of the book of Acts, and says thus and such and such and such, I'm already gonna be a little bit skeptical. Why is that? The book of Acts is a historical record written by Luke on the transition of the church coming into being. It began on the day of Pentecost, chapter two, I believe. And now the church is a whole new thing that never existed. It's a mystery that Paul elaborates on it's the new kingdom, you know, spiritual kingdom, etc. It's a whole new deal that's coming into play. And Luke is recording this immensely transitory thing where the apostles are gifted. Why? To authenticate the message that they're delivering, to prove that this message is from God. They can perform certain works and wonders. But those eventually cease and they're gone. So it's a transitional process. To build doctrine out of the book of Acts, you've got to be very, very careful because it's transitory in nature. Let me get real practical. So I've been asked a couple, three times in the past year, year and a half, Phil, how do you know the Holy Spirit's working through you? I was going to ask you that question. Good question. Thanks, Charles. Good lead in. To which my answer was, I have no idea. I have no idea. I decide what it is, I think on it, I pray on it, I take action, and I move out. When I look backwards over time, 
I see God's fingerprints all over everything. God doesn't direct a parked car. You've got to be in motion. It doesn't mean being stupid. Obviously, there's key key principles biblically that you don't want to violate, i.e., I'm in the financial advisory business. Somebody comes in and says, I want to do thus and such. The Lord's lead me to do this. And I'm sitting there thinking, and what you're talking about doing is a clear violation of biblical principles of finance. And now I've got to turn that one upside down and explain it and unwind it for them. So the Lord clearly does not leave you, lead you into something that's going to violate a, a biblical principle. But yet, often that's the case. So how do I know the Holy Spirit's working in me? I have no idea. But it's clear when I look back over time that he was directing a moving vehicle. The way our pastor works, our elder team, we sit down, we've got a solid group, we lay out our plans, we commit it to the Lord, and we take big, serious action. And we can tell when something's the right direction we moved or something the wrong direction. We were going to sell our entire campus ministry three years ago. Three different deals, every one of them fell through. Thank you, Lord, because when COVID hit, had that campus have been sold, we'd have been in trouble. So he already knew way in advance and shut down every door. So we come up with plan B. And you were sure it was God's will to proceed. At the time, we, we were yeah. pretty certain that was the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. But leave it up to him to close you know, it all and, up, and, and he did. Follow up on what you're saying. There's probably going to be brothers and sisters in Christ in here, and even brothers and sisters in Christ in some of the resources that we recommended who may disagree with some of even the things we said. So you're going to be like, yeah. well, there's a book I just read you right. recommended. It's different than what you said. Yes, that does happen. Yep. So just Especially modern-day evangelicals. Yes. It's very common. Yeah. That doesn't, but what I will say this, like Grudem's one of them, and he got recommended yep, in that absolutely. list. Absolutely. Grudem still believes and bases everything upon his life upon the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's got to be our driving force. Yeah. And so I just say that because it could easily go get that book and be like, well, it was totally opposite what you and guys said. And let me said. follow up on that because I have a good friend who's a very good friend of Wayne Grudem's. And when Eric and I have talked, he said, it is kind of amusing because in Grudem's Systematic, he's a continuationist. He leaves the door wide open. But practically speaking, for the sign gifts, practically speaking, nobody in his church, including him, practiced the sign gifts. And, and that's just kind of where they're at. So, so. that's where they roll, right? right. Yeah. So the door might be open, but we just don't do it. Right. Okay. That, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, and, and I would also suggest, I mean, Jude, first chapter, uh, verse three says, look, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's a closed canon. There's no more revelation. This idea of a holy hunch, it might have been the pepperoni pizza you had last night. I don't know. but um, It may just be a hunch. And it just might be just that. Yeah, it probably yeah. is. Uh, Both of you had some, so go and then... I want Mark to go first. No, it's different. Okay. No, I was thinking about what you were talking about with finance, because I worked in the political world. I would have these candidates. We would interview. They would come, and they would say they wanted to run for public office, and their immediate thing when I would sit down with them about whether or not we were going to take them as a client, they would say, well, God has called me to run. He wants me to be a state representative. He wants me to be a congressman. And I would always ask them the same question, did he call you to lose? And they said, what do you mean? God's going to, I'm going to win. Great. Okay, wonderful. (laughs) 
I have, I've been down this path too many times, and it's not a lack of faith. It's just the reality that may, God may call you to what he wants you to do doesn't mean you're going to do the thing that it comes through the experience, right? And so a lot of them will be like, huh? And they just, you know, they don't get that. And so we really get into it. And then you wind up talking theology with a political candidate, which is always fun. But it's that idea that, like, if God has called you to this, I'm behind you 100%. Go for it. But you don't know that you're going to be the congressman. You don't know that you're going to be the state representative. You don't know anything. You just know God's called you to take this step. Because I know when I was had three really good options several years ago, and I called Dad, I said, oh, I've been praying about it. I just don't know what to do. I don't know which one to pick. And he goes, are they all good options? I'm like, seems like it. He goes, are you following the Lord? I said, yeah. He said, are you praying about it? I said, yeah. And he goes, pick one. And I was like, but which one? He goes, no, not the point. You didn't hear me. I said, pick one. I'm like, I don't know which one I want. He goes, it doesn't matter. And I was like, but what does God want me to do? He goes, he wants you to pick one. (laughs) Do it. Do it, you know? I say really profound things. He does, yeah, it's good. But to your point, you talk about the finance, and it's, you know what? God says, go and do it. And you're waiting for lightning to strike you. It's not going to happen. If it does, you'll be in the hospital and you won't know what God wants you to do. That's not the point. The point is to go and to do it. It's like Gilbert act. says, his book, the title of his book is just do something. That's just do something. Yeah. Yeah. Do well, something. And I think if you're prompted and it's not sinful, go do it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Go yeah. do it. And if, if you're pressing toward the mark, mm-hmm. God is not so careless with your life that he won't put something in your way. You know, what is that verse? And if in any way you be otherwise minded, minded he will the Lord will reveal even this. I don't mean reveal in the sense of revealing Scripture. He'll show you. It'll, it'll he'll work it out. Yeah. You know. Otherwise, go. Yeah. I, I was going to say, and this kind of goes with the whole thing, especially what Phil said. If you take the Book of Acts and and a, sort of a timeline, Philip, as that's the guy was in the question, uh, is in early Acts. So if you read the book of Acts closely, you will see it changes. Things change. The the activity, the way things happen, change. Now superimpose, take the books of the New Testament and start start with 1 and 2 Corinthians and maybe Galatians. Galatians is around uh, Acts 15, 16. And um, in in Corinthians... Especially First Corinthians, you have a lot about sign gifts and prophecies and stuff, and and um, but when you go to the pastorals with Paul at close to the end of his life, he didn't talk anything about. Remember what he told Timothy, the, the book of Timothy was for that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now we're at the end of his ministry now. He's we're at somewhere around 65, 66 A.D. I mean we're just. 35, six years from the death of Christ and his resurrection. And he, he never mentions revelatory gifts, sign gifts of any kind. There's a reason for that. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, which was referenced earlier, Paul says, um, uh, we prophesy in part and we... Um, but when, when, the, when the perfect comes, the partial shall be done away with. Now, not all agree on the exact meaning there, but Jesus is not the perfect. He's the perfect man. The perfect, what's the perfect? What's the complete? You got it in your lap. 
the complete revelation, the partial is done away. Why did the Old Testament prophets speak directly from God? We didn't have the whole canon of revelation. Why did Samuel say, thus says the Lord? Because of thus said the Lord then. But when you get to the New Testament and you move from John, the Gospels, into, into Acts, and you move that continuum, you see it. If you read the New Testament, that might, by the time you get to John and the, the, his epistles and Revelation, the, the um, Acts has long been over. The book of Acts, the, that historical story is done. And so we need to look at, there, there's again, it's context. The whole context of Acts. Philip heard from God about what to do because we were in a period of revelatory, supernatural, outwardly supernatural work. Just like back when in Exodus when Moses uh, did all those miracles. That didn't happen everywhere in Scripture. There are only three great periods of that in Scripture. And one of those is the book of time of Jesus and the Acts. So, I mean, you may have a different belief about tongues and we're not here to blow up anything over that. But the truth is, tongues did cease. You look, read the New Testament. Ceases after somewhere after Corinthians. You don't hear any more about it. It gets quiet. Why did it get quiet? Because it wasn't an issue. When moving on, we've got something better coming. We've gotten full revelation. It's a really, really good point. If you read any of the first century church fathers, you will not find anything about tongues or the sign gifts. The only one, to my knowledge, is, is uh, in the writings of Irenaeus against heresies, and he makes a comment to the effect of, yeah, I heard about somewhere in a far-off village, somebody mentioned somebody speaking in tongues, but we have no knowledge of it, and it was a side comment, and he moved on. Right. So you have it was gone. And you have hundreds of years, and charismatic yeah. people of that theological who have a theological answer and say, all the church let that slide and the church has been backslidden. Now we've got this new revelation, this new gift. Mm -mm. It, no. it started out in our neck of the woods, Azusa, California. Huh? Not far. Yeah, and we're low, running low on time here, so not to bring... No, 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 as I know you. <laughs> but I, I think to wrap this up, get in the Word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let the Word be your right. God. Get good what? tools, good Bible study tools, good commentaries. Um, the, the, the resource list is, is, is terrific. Buy a systematic theology or two. Be in um, a good church. And an expositional church, mm -hmm. a solid church. That's, that's the beginning and end of it, guys, because then you've got a community of believers. You're in agreement. You've got a pastoral staff you can sit down if you're trying to figure something out with. And, and you, you can sit down with these guys and and uh, and, and a good the question to ask yourself if you're taking some thoughts and belief, where is this going to take me? Where am I going to end? If I keep following this, where am I going to wind up? Am I going to wind up in a biblical spot? That's a very good question to ask. Sorry. So I think that's okay. I will ask no more questions. <laughs> no, I don't want to close with the doxology because I think it's a very God-centered, God-focused and helps us orient ourselves in that way. So we'll sing that a cappella together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we dive into a new session from Passion for Christ 2021. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.